Welcome in to another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. It's episode six of our podcast, and it's Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Always remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. No episode last week, but we're back on the weekly schedule. Hope you enjoyed the holidays with your family. And remember, you can find us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb or online at thestudentsection.net. So, with all that being said, we have a ton to get into this week, so we're not going to waste too much time. Big rivalry games last week, big ranking show back on Tuesday, and big conference championship games this week that are going to decide the playoff picture. So, without further ado, let's get right into all that. Enjoy the show, folks. Let's do it. Here's the run again, Donovan Edwards! Whoa! Can they catch him? No! Donovan Edwards again, 85 yards! The Don, two huge touchdowns, and the Wolverines go up 44-23. Wow. I think I can speak for a majority of college football fans when I say that my jaw was on the floor for a majority of that fourth quarter as we watched Michigan come into the horseshoe and for the second straight year impose their will on Ohio State and beat them down. 45 to 23, your final score. Michigan has blown out Ohio State for a second straight year. And you know, it happens once, it's a fluke. It happens twice, it's a trend. And this is a turning point in this rivalry. I mean, folks, it's not the fact that they're beating Ohio State, but it's the way that they're doing it. I mean, this is two straight years where Ohio State has just not had an answer for Michigan physically. This was domination in every single way for the second half of this game. And while the second half is great, and I think it should be talked about, something with this game I think a lot of people are just glossing over is Michigan's passing game. And the fact that for about half of this game, this game was played completely on Ohio State's terms. I mean, it's no secret that Ohio State's goal when it comes to these games is to try to b- drag teams into a track meet with them, get them into a shootout because they know nobody can outgun them. They know nobody's got the big bad offense like they've got. And so they said, we're going to try to make J.J. McCarthy beat us. And boy, oh boy, did he beat you. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, 263 yards, four touchdowns, and then you had Cornelius Johnson, four catches, 200, or 160 yards, and two touchdowns. Wow. I mean, I don't think it's outlandish to say that this Wolverine passing offense probably had their best day since their cupcake games in the beginning of the season against teams like Colorado State, UConn, Hawaii. I mean, this was weird to watch. This is not the way Michigan beats people, at least for the first half, and then You know, as we move into the second half, Michigan completely asserted their will and got back to their old school style of dominance. I mean, Donovan Edwards, 216 yards and a pair of touchdowns, including two long scores to close the game out in the end. He was the guy who was going to have to step up big time in the absence of Blake Corum. And boy, oh boy, did he step up. I mean, that was special to watch. It almost felt like his coming out party the way he played in the biggest game of the year. Same thing with McCarthy, really. The two of them, they are going to be the face of this program for a couple more years now. And I feel like that win in Columbus was really their coming out party. They're showing themselves to the world, the national stage, whatever you want to call it. So moving on now, as we got into the second half, if you're Ryan Day and the Buckeyes, you have seen the exact same script 
play out in back-to-back years against this Michigan team. In the past two years, they've outscored you 56-17 to in the second half. Michigan in the second half is just something else, man. I mean, on average, they're outscoring their opponents 21-5 to in the second half. That's the best margin in college football, and it really isn't close. The next team is over three points behind them. Jim Harbaugh is my national coach of the year right now. The way he's got this team playing, it's like I've never seen before. They are back with a vengeance, and I really do think that they've got a shot to go all the way to the national championship. So we're going to move on to the Ohio State side of things now. Let's do it. All right, Ohio State fans, you're here again. Let's talk about what happened and what comes next. I mean... This fan base right now is in absolute shambles. And you saw it on TV right after the game ended when Urban Meyer and the Fox guys are doing the post-game show and the Ohio State fans are filing out of the stadium behind him, chanting that they want him back as their head coach. I mean, this fan base right now is in DEFCON 1. Ohio State is, not, not the program, the fan base is imploding before our very eyes. I mean, they want Ryan Day fired. They want him out the door yesterday. I've heard Ohio State fans on Twitter say that they want to make the playoff just for Ryan Day to lose another game and get fired. What? (laughs) I mean, some of this stuff, man, that they come up with is just nuts. And I really want to say, think again. If you want to fire Ryan Day and you're an Ohio State football fan, you are out of your mind, truly. I mean... This is a guy that's 45-5 and as a head coach at Ohio State. He's got two Big Ten titles, two college football playoff appearances. He's made a national title game, and he has multiple top-ranked recruiting classes in the entire country. And I want to give some rationale here by comparing their situation to what happened at Michigan. At one point a couple years ago, it seems like forever ago now, Jim Harbaugh was 0-5 against Ohio State, and the Michigan fan base was calling for his head. He was the most hated man in the state of Michigan, without a shadow of a doubt. But what did the athletic director, Ward Manuel, and the school do? They stayed the course, they let the plan play out, they gave Jim Harbaugh his shot, and he has not looked back. Look at what that program has turned into now. They're arguably the best team in the country on their way to the college football playoff and possibly even a national championship. So to Ohio State fans, I say pump the brakes on getting rid of this guy. He's the best you've got. He's the best you're going to get for a while. And like I said, there's nobody else out there. So with that being said, we have spent seven and a half minutes almost talking about this game. We have so much more to get into this week. We've got rankings and conference championship games to talk about. Let's move on and dive right into the college football playoff rankings. Let's do it. new rankings are here. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's dive right into it. So, obviously, because of the Michigan-Ohio State game, we had a lot of shuffle in the top four. And right now, we're sitting at Georgia, number one, Michigan, number two, TCU, number three, USC, number four, and then Ohio State and Alabama rounding out the top six. So, there are some questions going into conference championship week, and I'm going to take this time to answer them. And the first one that comes to my mind is Michigan and Georgia are in. But does TCU really need to win the Big 12 to make the playoff? And all signs to me point to no. 
only because of the absolute chaos that we've had in the rankings the past couple weeks. I mean, a one-loss Clemson team and a one-loss Alabama team would have undoubtedly been threatening TCU's playoff spot, but now they've both got a second loss, and TCU is relatively safe because of all of that, barring a total meltdown against Kansas State. Because to me, you look at TCU— even if they do lose this game in terrible fashion, they'd be a 12-1 and team, and their only loss is to Kansas State, who would at that point be in the top eight, top nine. So do you really hold TCU out for and punish them for losing that extra game? I don't think so. Moving on. The next big question on a lot of people's minds is, in the event of a USC loss, who would get in at that number four spot? And to me, Ohio State is the only logical answer. And... I thought that was obvious, but the general public seems to be making an argument for Alabama here. But to me, Ohio State and Alabama are simply incomparable. I mean, for starters, Ohio State has a better record, one less loss, and the loss is to a better team than any of the teams Alabama have played all year. Ohio State also has a better strength of record and a more impressive win than the Crimson Tide at number eight Penn State. So obviously, Ohio State faithful this weekend. They're going to be wearing a different shade of red. They should be going all out to cheer for Utah in the Pac-12 championship because, to me, if Utah can spring the upset, Ohio State is going to be the team that gets in, and I think that should be a pretty easy decision for the committee. So just a couple more things to round out our thoughts on the rankings this week. Another big debate seems to be Tennessee behind Alabama at those 6-7 spots. People are saying Tennessee should be ahead of Alabama because of the head-to-head record. And I don't know if I agree with that, only because you have to take into account, A, the fact that Hendon Hooker is out for the rest of the season. Uh, Wish him a speedy recovery, obviously. But the committee has clearly said that they take that into account. And then you also have the timing of the losses and when Tennessee has lost. They they have later losses than Alabama. Alabama has gotten a little hot as as of late uh, since their loss to LSU. I think Alabama at six and Tennessee at seven is the right ranking. But one thing I will say is I do think Penn State should maybe get a little bit of consideration to be further up than eight as well. Penn State's a ten and two team, and their two losses are to the number two team in the country and the number five team in the country. Ohio State has said now that they don't want to be considered for the Rose Bowl, and I think that Penn State is a great pick for that Rose Bowl bid out of the Big Ten. So that's all I got on the rankings here. We're going to move on to previewing the two most important conference championship games, the only real ones with playoff implications, as well as touch on the other ones. Let's get into it. Williams has time against a four-man rush, backpedaling, scanning, now running out of time, circling back, joystick on the move again. Are you kidding me? Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback, finally dragged down at the That's 20. That's right, folks, it's the Pac-12 championship tonight. game. And to me, this one is the only real conference championship game that has definitive stakes because, like we said, Michigan, Georgia, and TCU could all probably lose and still make it. USC, uh-uh. 12-1, and one, fighting for their playoff lives, and this one should be a good one. I mean, you look at what happened on October 15th between these two teams. Utah won an absolute instant classic, 43-42, to 42, and I think this Pac-12 championship game has the potential to be just as good. So, one way or another, the college football playoff field could possibly be settled before we even get the championship Saturday. I mean, if USC wins this game tonight, or on Friday night, rather, there's no argument for any anybody else to make the playoffs. To me, one, two, three, and four is set. 
So that's something to keep in mind. We're going to touch first on the Trojans because in this game, all eyes are going to be on Superman. Caleb Williams, the Heisman front runner. And he, if he hasn't sealed it already, he can all but seal the Heisman Trophy and his victory with a good performance and a win in this game. Last week, 260 yards, four touchdowns, including that insane run that you just heard from Chris Fowler against Notre Dame. I mean, there isn't much more you could have asked this kid to do in these past couple weeks. And even in that loss to Utah, you look what he did, 438 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, Caleb Williams, people are running out of words to describe what this kid is doing. In one of my articles this week, I said Mahomes-esque, the way he kind of maneuvers in the pocket and shifts the pocket and escapes pressure. I think that's a good adjective to use, but I mean, I understand people running out of things to say about this kid. He's responsible for about 22 points a game. That leads the nation by a wide margin, but he's not going to be the guy that has to step up if USC wants to win this game. To me, the USC backfield is really going to have to step up if they want a chance at beating Utah and winning the Pac-12. Travis Dye and Austin Jones, they're both averaging over six yards a carry, nine touchdowns and five touchdowns respectively. Caleb Williams, 10 touchdowns on the ground too. You can't forget about him coming out of the backfield, escaping the pocket. But this is a Utah rush defense that's top 10 nationally in defending the run. They allow 117 rush yards and 15 and a half first downs a game. Those are solid numbers. They boast one of the Pac-12's best total defenses, and they could cause USC some real trouble in winning this game. Speaking of things that can cause USC trouble, though, it's going to be their defense. I mean, they're a liability at times. They're going to give up yards. But the thing you have to worry about with the USC defense is their ability to create havoc and change the tide of a game with a big play. I mean, this defense is a turnover machine. Right now, the Trojans lead college football in turnover margin at 1.92 turnovers per game. Kalen Bullock's got five picks on the year. Makai Blackman's got three. Shane Lee and Mac Williams both have two. And the Trojans have already got three defensive touchdowns on this season. This is a defense, like I said, that's going to give up yards. They're going to let you get down in the red zone. But they can change the momentum and change the tides with a snap of a finger. And you've seen them do it in so many close games with those lesser teams this season. The defense for USC is always what changes the tide. Moving on to Utah. With all the talk about Caleb Williams and how he's going to win the Heisman, people are forgetting in this game that Utah has got a phenomenal quarterback of their own. Cameron Rising is the real deal, folks. I mean, this is a guy that's quietly posted a top 10 QBR in all of college football, and his health really shouldn't be an issue going into this week. He's dealt with the injury bug the past couple weeks, but he finally got back on track last week against Colorado. 234 yards and three touchdowns. This is a guy that can hurt you both with his arm and with his legs. I mean, this USC defense especially has had trouble containing the quarterbacks out of the backfield in some of their slip-up games, some of the games they haven't played the best in. And when Utah beat USC a month and a half ago, Cameron Rising had three rushing touchdowns, including a two-point conversion that won them the game. And speaking of the Utah run game, that's what they're going to have to get going against USC if they want to win this game. They, they got 138, uh, 138 last time out against USC, and USC allows over four yards of carry this year. That's something they're going to have to exploit if they want to win this game. They can't leave it all up to Rising's arm. Rising's going to have to be versatile, use his legs, and you're going to have to see the Utah backfield get it done. 
All right, last thing I want to touch on when it comes to this game, and that's the Utah defense and what they're going to have to do to bring home a Pac-12 championship. And it couldn't be more obvious. Utah as a team right now allows a 61% completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks, and they're going to need to get that number down if they want any shot at beating the Trojans. I mean, you cannot allow Caleb Williams to get into a rhythm, get into his groove, because that is when he will beat you. You've got to throw blitzes, stunts, packages, the whole kitchen sink at this guy, something that they haven't seen on film. Get him just seeing something he hasn't seen before and get him out of his comfort zone. Because if Caleb Williams is allowed to sit in the pocket and dance around like he did against Notre Dame, it's going to be a long day for Utah. To me, that's your only hope at bringing home this Pac-12 title. So enough about this game. We're going to move on now to the Kansas State TCU Big 12 Championship. It's going to be taking place Saturday. Let's do it. Texas brings pressure. Duggan backpedals, lofts to the end zone, wide open, Johnston, touchdown! All right, Big 12 championship time. I am really, really excited for this game, even though we don't really know what the stakes are. I think that makes it all the more entertaining, and like we said earlier, while we don't know if TCU actually needs to win this game to crack the playoff, I think one thing is for certain, and that's that Sonny Dykes is going to have these guys ready to play regardless of what the stakes are. I mean, he's right up there in my Coach of the Year tier list. It goes without saying, 12-0 in his first year at the helm. He has been nothing short of amazing this year, and he's got this team flawless through one of the nation's toughest schedules. And even more impressively, it seems like TCU's peaking at the right time. I mean, they faced Iowa State, who surprisingly has the uh, the Big 12's top-ranked scoring defense last week. And what did they do? They went ahead and hung 62 points on them. An absolutely insane display last week. And they were narrowly able to defeat Kansas State last time. But let's not forget what the Wildcats have done since then. They've gone 4-1. and one. They've rattled off some really noteworthy wins over Oklahoma State and Kansas. And Will Howard, the quarterback, was a bit banged up in that game. Obviously, that's when they lost Adrian Martinez. But since that loss to TCU, he's tallied 969 passing yards to go with 11 touchdowns and just one pick. On the other sideline, it's Max Duggan. And he is a guy... I feel like has a pretty convincing Heisman campaign, but nobody is talking about him. I mean, 3,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, and just three picks speaks for itself. And perhaps the most fascinating stat about him is the fact that he posts a near-perfect passer rating against college football top 25 opponents. I mean, you know, his highly touted wide receiver room is going to cause quite a bit of havoc against uh, the Wildcats this time like they did last time. But to me, Max Duggan is the star of the show. His story and everything he's been through, if you haven't seen it, look it up. I highly encourage you to do so. And to me, him and Will Howard are going to put on a show. There's a TCU team that's been under pressure all year to be perfect, and they've been perfect. I don't see a reason that they're not going to be perfect this time around. We're in for a good game on Saturday. Let's move on to our game picks of the week. All right, folks, game picks, my favorite time of the week, and we've got a very short list of picks this week. We're going to start off on Friday with the Pac-12 championship. Number 11, Utah, against number 4, USC. 8 o'clock on Fox, and I got USC minus 2.5. And 67 points is a lot of points. Give me the under in that one. I'm just not confident. I think both these defenses are going to show up in some form or another. Next up, noon Saturday, we've got the Big 12 Championship. Number 10, Kansas State at number 3, TCU. Noon game on ABC. Give me TCU minus 2.5 and the over 61.5. Like I just said minutes ago, 
Will Howard and Max Duggan. They're both putting on a show. So give me TCU in the over. Next up, SEC Championship, number 14, LSU, against number one, Georgia. I like the dogs, minus 17 and a half and the under 52 and a half. Georgia's going to shut LSU down, and they're going to put on a show on offense. They're going to show everyone why they, why they deserve to be the number one team in the country. Let's move on. Number 22, UCF, and number 18, Tulane, in the biggest group of five championship of the week. Four o'clock on ABC. I like the Knights plus four and the over 57. Next up in the Big Ten championship game, a little lopsided here, but it's eight o'clock on Fox. I got Michigan minus 17 and the over 52 in that one. No Blake Corum, no problem for Michigan. And we're going to round out the field with number nine, Clemson, at number 23, North Carolina. Low stakes game, not a lot matters in this one, but I like Clemson minus seven and a half, and I like the under 63 and a half. All right, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Unfortunately, I had a blast getting back on the show and doing this podcast after missing last week. Once again, you can find us online at the studentsection.net or on Instagram at studentsectioncfb, where we've got 24-7 coverage on both of those platforms. As always, folks, Whether you're on the bleachers or on the couch this weekend, have a blast, enjoy the games, and we will see you next week. Take care, folks.